Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, we've, uh, we've got some good news to celebrate. A member of Real Life Church was living life on a mission. She got on an airplane, flew off to another country, uh, plane delays or stalls at the airport, uh, and it turns out that she and another woman on the trip with her were staying at the same hotel, and so they kind of trucked together to the same hotel, had to walk blocks that they hadn't planned on walking, so they walked together. And when they got to the hotel... They checked in, and because they had kind of struggled through this uh, trek together, they decided they'd have dinner together. And in the midst of the dinner, this uh, woman shared that she had uh, just lost a person who was very close to her, and she was traveling for the funeral. And so a member of our church said, uh, well, have you, have, you ever, have you ever prayed? Because usually in situations where I'm in, in need, I, I pray. And the woman said, well, I, I kind of grew up in church, but I don't really know how to do that. And so a member of our church sat with her and, and prayed with her and taught her how to pray and asked her if she wanted to invite Jesus into her life and start a journey with Jesus. And she said yes. And so here at Real Life Church, when we hear stories like that, we love to share those. We light our faith candle on Sunday mornings to recognize the fact that there is new life in the world. Uh, and I hope that's an encouragement to your heart, that we live life on a mission for Jesus. And everywhere you go can be holy ground because you're walking with Jesus. And there are people who are going to cross your path in need. There may not be a big sign over their head that says, hey, talk to this person. But pay attention to how the Holy Spirit highlights people to you that God wants you to care for. You're, you're the missionary in their life. You're the pastor in their life. And so we celebrate that good news today. Uh, and, uh, and that said, I've got some big news about how you and I are going to be doing life on mission together uh, starting next week. So there's big changes afoot uh, starting in the week to come. You know, make sure you're tracking with this. This is going to change how you do church next Sunday. So... The Valley Center campus is having its roof replaced. And so there's a lot of work going on. There's a lot of nails in the parking lot. I don't want kids walking around in a courtyard on a work site. I don't want tires driving through nails in the parking lot. And so we are doing something tectonic. We are moving out of our Valley Center campus for probably four weeks and moving over to our Glendora campus for those weeks. So that means all of us are going to be together under one roof. Now, you who are already worshiping at the Glendora campus are thinking, aha, I'm, I'm good, this is where I already come. Well, we're going to mess you up too, because we're going to switch the number of services we have in order to get everybody in the same building. There's going to be a lot of people in that, that little chapel over there. And so we're going to now switch to three service times at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And so that'll be new service times, new location for some of us. Uh, it'll be a lot of big change, because we are a church on the move. Uh, and this, is, this has just been in the nature of who we have been since we founded as a church. We have, we have founded with the, the conscious intention of living into the changes that God puts in front of us uh, with open hearts. Because when God changes things among us, it's usually so he can bless us. And so, uh, so I'm looking forward to the weeks that are to come. A um, few things you need to know. Uh, there's information at reallife.la forward slash on the move. All one word, on the move. 
Uh, and so if you want to find out week to week what's going on, it'll be on that page. Uh, if, you, uh, if you are uh, living in proximity to our Valley Center campus and you don't have transportation, we are arranging transportation for you. So you can walk to the Valley Center campus on Sunday morning. We will drive you to the Glendora campus before service and drive you back after service. But we need to know that you need the ride. So you have to notify us. Don't just walk over here and expect somebody to be waiting. You have to let us know that you need the ride. So uh, again, reallife.la forward slash on the move. You can let us know. Uh, there's an email address there. You can let us know that you need a ride, and we will make sure that we have that for you. Uh, and we are at the 1130 service bringing back brunch. For those of you who have just joined our church, you may not know the history here. Back in January of 2020, we switched from two services to three. The church was growing. We were filling up the rooms. We didn't have space for everybody. Uh, we were worshiping in two rooms at Valley Center at the same time. And we added a third service, an 1130 service, with a brunch. And this is different than our normal services. Because during the brunch service, we all sit around round tables. The, the band will sing over us as we eat brunch together. And then we'll have a message. And then we have discussion around the tables together. And our experience in those early days of 2020 was that that service was attracting more first-time visitors to our church than any other service. People were, were fascinated by this, this brunch presentation because it was very, uh, very non-threatening to people who weren't going to church. And so if you have a friend that you love who you've been praying for and want to invite them to the church, you can invite them to our 1130 brunch service. And I think you'll find that they love that. So that's, uh, that's all coming next week. Sorry sorry for the short notice. We just found out they were beginning the, the roof this week, so it was a surprise to us as well. Uh, but we are prepared for it, and as we've always said, we are a church on the move. We're going to roll into this and take it in stride, and I trust that God will bless us as we go. God has already prepared a way for us. Uh, if you've been here in recent months, you know the, the parking lot at the Glendora campus got paved by surprise. We were planning on paving it next year, and a guy pulled in with a truck and said, I've got a truck full of hot asphalt, and my job just got canceled, and I need to pour it somewhere. Can I just dump it on your parking lot? And we needed a new parking lot. So that all worked out, and we saved like 20% of what that project would have cost because he needed a place to put it. And then not, not long, immediately after that, somebody from our church said, hey, I want to replace all the lights in the parking lot, and my company will do it at just the cost of materials. And so God was preparing our Glendora campus for us before we even knew we were all going to have to be there together. Uh, and I trust that God has blessings plans, planned for us as we go. Um, and you should know that as, as your pastor, uh, I really like this. Because I know it's disorienting. I know we have to wake up at different times. We have to drive different distances. We have to figure out where we're sitting because somebody's sitting where we always sit. Uh, but it, it really takes us back to where we started. Uh, we started with uh, very little organizational structure, very little plans, no budget, no staff. And we just watched God fill in the gaps. We watched God take care of us. And that wasn't an excuse for not being prepared. We did everything we knew how to do. But at every step along the way, no matter how much we prepare, God does better things than we had planned for. And so uh, I like the fact that in the early days of the church when we were meeting in a park or when we were meeting in a, in a school, if you wanted to sit in a chair, you had to go get a chair and set it up. Uh, if you wanted to have church together, we had to set it up and break it down together because there was nobody to do it for us. And so here we are again uh, in a place of uh, surprise change, sudden change, 
and uh, living into it with open hearts because we know God goes before us. And so uh, as a pastor, uh, I, I like the fact that despite how disorienting it is, and I'm sorry it changes your schedule, I know it does that, uh, I, think it's, I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us not to be too settled. So that is coming up this week. Uh, it'll probably go four weeks on Sundays that will be over at the Glendora campus. But check reallife.la forward slash on the move for all the information that you need. We'll continue to have full children's uh, ministries and middle school ministries on Sunday mornings at all three services. And so uh, everybody will, um, will have a place to be. All right, so that's, uh, that's all the exciting news. Uh, and now we're going to dive into our studies in the Gospel of Luke and look at Jesus' call to be a people on the move. And we're going to look at two different people in the Gospel of Luke who responded very differently to that call. One who had a lot of resources to bring, a lot of things that he could use to respond to God's call, and a woman that had very little with which to respond to God's call. And we'll look at how different their responses were. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that uh, throughout the... The story of your people, you have always called us to be a people on the move. You've called us to move to new lands, to to escape slavery when uh, the people were uh, being ruled over by dictators. You've called us to homes that were flowing with milk and honey and green pastures and flowing waters. You've always provided for us. And that has always required that we go through vulnerability. Um, So I thank you, Jesus, that when we are made vulnerable, uh, you prove yourself strong. Uh, And no matter what we're going through in our lives, in those places where we feel most vulnerable, most afraid, most unsure, you're there all the more, and you're all the more strong for us. So Jesus, through those experiences, put faith in our hearts. Help us to trust in you, uh, in the good times and the bad, when we know where we're going and when we don't. And may the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right. To get into our studies today, these, these two different people, I want you to consider a contrast. Consider a contrast of someone who plays a sport because they want trophies. They want medals. They want fans cheering their names. Consider the contrast between that person and a person who plays the sport because they love the sport. Now, you might get very similar results from those two people. They might both be well accomplished, but the heart is completely different. One of them is just driven for the rewards, and one of them is driven by love of the game. Consider a contrast between a student who studies to get good grades and academic accolades and a student who studies because they love learning. The results might be the same, but the motivation is very different. The heart behind it is very different. The effect it has on the person is very different. Imagine somebody who goes to work because they need a paycheck, though they hate their job, and somebody who goes to a job that they love for whom the paycheck is secondary. They may both get the job done, but the heart is very different. Now look at these two people and consider the differences between them. In Luke chapter 18 at verse 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get a trophy? What must I do to be approved of and to look good? And the word uh, ruler here in Greek is arche, which means somebody who is born into a place of noble birth. Uh, This, again, is somebody who may brag like they've hit a triple, but they were born on third base. So this guy has had his life set up for him, and he's asking Jesus, what do I have to do to get more trophies? Because, as we're about to see, he wants to tell Jesus about all the trophies he's already got. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, that sounds strange in the ears of a lot of Christians because Christian theology holds that Jesus is God. Jesus allows himself to be worshipped. He equates himself with the Father. He makes their Passover meal about him. Over and over again, Jesus is identified as God in the Scriptures. In the end, he's crucified for blasphemy for saying things like that. So why would he say, why are you calling me good when no one is good but God alone? Well, I think he's trying to call this guy's attention to the fact that this guy wants to be proven good, but has a misunderstanding about what good actually is. Jesus is prompting him to pay attention, and the guy immediately misses it. Jesus asks, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man immediately responds, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Right? I've got those trophies. Look at how good I am. I knew it. I knew you'd be impressed with me, Jesus. See, I asked you what I needed, what I needed to get the trophies, and I've done all the right things. Now, pay attention here, because again, Jesus has, has teased him into a conversation, and he's missing what Jesus is actually saying. There are ten commandments. Jesus mentions numbers five through nine. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, don't, uh, don't lie. He, honor your father and mother. He mentions five through nine. He leaves out commandments one through four, which are the, the vertical commandments, the commandments about our relationship with God. He's already said, look, you're, you're looking for goodness. You're forgetting that no one but God alone is good. And he leaves out the four commandments that this guy is also ignoring. And then he ignores the tenth commandment, which is don't be jealous of other people's stuff, which is probably a force that has driven this man's life. Jesus mentions all the commandments that this guy can affirm, and he leaves out the ones that this guy is ignoring. Again, I think he's, he's hoping that the man will see what he's doing. But the man misses it and proudly announces he's doing everything right. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What Jesus says is you're you're missing the first commandments, and you're missing the tenth commandment. You're, You're putting money in front of God. The first commandment is no other gods but God. And you've put, you've put your pride in front of God. You've put your accolades in front of God. You've put your money in front of God. And don't be jealous of other people's stuff. You've spent your whole life jealous. What you're missing is you now need to get rid of all the stuff you've been chasing after and put God first. Honor the first four commandments and the tenth commandment. That's what you're missing. When he heard this, when the man heard this, He became very sad 
because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, and there's some debate here about this image. Uh, the word camelos, as opposed to camelos, uh, actually refers to a thick rope that was used in sailing. So maybe Jesus was saying it's easier to get a thick rope through an eye of a needle. The metaphor just holds together a little bit better. Uh, but there, there was... There were instances in ancient Jewish literature of talking about getting an elephant through an eye of a needle. So, all the same. Uh, it's easier for a, a, to get a camel through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, it's ironic that we print in God we trust on the back of God's leading competitor. Jesus has three commandments here, three charges to him. Let go of everything... Sell everything you have, take care of those who have nothing, care for the poor, and come follow the one who can do anything. And that's Jesus' charge to you and I. You need to live life on a mission. So let go of everything, care for those who have nothing, and take hold of the one who can do anything. That's Jesus' challenge to us. Don't live life pursuing the accolades and wealth of the world. Come follow me. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Uh, two things about that. First, Jesus is not telling you to abandon your family. The scriptures say very much the opposite. The scriptures say those who neglect their own family are worse than somebody who doesn't even believe in God, so don't do that. Jesus regularly heals children and restores them to their parents. He's, uh, he's pro-family. Pro so don't, don't hear in this uh, that there's a, there's a drive in the Christian teaching to divide families. If, if a religious group tells you that, that you should separate from your family, they're probably a cult. So, so that's not what Jesus is after here. The idea of leaving in this text, the idea of leaving family, is, is what we would think of in the modern context of, of an 18-year-old moving out of the house and going and getting their own job or going to college or living in their own place. There's a sense of maturing and moving on to the next place. Jesus is saying we ought to mature out of the context in which we were born and go and graduate into the kingdom of God. Live not for the things on which we were raised, but to live for God's kingdom. And secondly, the result, notice, is not poverty. He doesn't say, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and then I hope you suffer. Right? He says, those who have done that receive much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus isn't looking for us to starve to death. That's not what he's after. He's looking for us to live dependent on him for the sake of his mission, for the sake of his kingdom. Let go of everything in this world. Care especially for those who have nothing. And take hold of the one who can do anything. That's the call to we who follow Jesus. Now, I want to contrast that. I want to contrast that guy and his response to Jesus with another person in the Gospel of Luke, just a couple chapters later in Luke 21. Jesus is in the temple with his disciples. 
and he's looking around, and there are people making offerings in the temple. Luke 21, verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. There's actually a, a play on words Uh, Because the second all, she gave all, is a stronger version of all. So she gave more than all of them because she gave absolutely all. Consider the difference between a man who has followed the commandments of God to receive the trophies for doing it. To be recognized in the public eye. So that when an important rabbi comes to town, you can stand in front of him and in front of the crowd say, look at how good I've been. And a woman who in her humility has given her heart to God. There may be similar results. They may may both live life well, but the heart is very different. The motivations are very different. And in the end, the results are different too. Because in the end, this man who has everything can give nothing. And she who has almost nothing is willing to give everything. What a contrast. And it boils down to your heart. It boils down to what motivates you and what you want to live for. It reminds me of a a conversation that uh, I uh, heard a pastor have with a member of his congregation he, uh, he sat with a guy in his congregation who was very driven and very accomplished, and as a consequence had become very wealthy. And uh, the man was talking about how he still didn't feel satisfied. And this pastor said, well, why don't you use all the resources, all that you built up in this life, to do good things for the world? And they started to flesh out what that looked like, and so the, the pastor asked him, have you ever heard of, of tithing, which is giving 10% of your income to building the kingdom of heaven on earth? And this, the man, it didn't take him long. The man did some calculations. And he goes, 10%. Do you know how much I make? I make a lot of money. 10% would be a huge amount of money. I can't afford to give that much money away. And the pastor said, no problem. Let me, let me just pray for you. Pray with, pray with me for a second. He said, Lord, please help my friend to make less and less until he can finally afford to tithe. <laughs> right? And that that actually is how it plays out in our society. The people who have the most tend to be the most reluctant to give. I mean, statistically, that has proven over and over again to be the case. In in, uh, American charitable giving, Americans give almost $500 billion a year to charities. And the primary, primary source of the giving is not foundations and corporations, it's individuals. It's people sitting in pews. It's people like you. The primary source of giving in our country is individuals, not organizations. And among individuals who give, religious individuals give twice as much as non-religious individuals. In our country and around the world, the most charitable people in the world are religious people, and in particular, Christians. Statistically, that's the case. But now get this. Among people who give, Bottom 20%, the poorest 20% of our country, give on average twice as much by percentage per person 
as the top 20% of the wealthiest in our country. The, the people who have the least give on average twice as much by percentage of what they have than the people who have the most. Just like the guy in this parable. Just like the woman in this parable. And, and Forbes publishes every year their, their top 400 wealthiest people in America. And, and they have, they've studied the giving habits of those. Most of those people give at most 1% of their income to charity. Lord, help them to make less and less until finally they can afford to be charitable. You can spend your life chasing after the accolades of this world, chasing after the wealth of this world, and you may well be successful at it. Some people are. And at the end of the day, when you stand in front of God and give an account of your life, all you'll be able to do is say, I lived selfishly. I lived driven and accomplished and I ignored people around me. People like this widow who will, will be able to say, I trusted you, and I lived for you. You and I are called to live life on a mission for Jesus. We're called to let go of everything in this world, to care especially for those who have nothing, and to take hold of the one who can do anything. And Jesus says, nobody who does that fails to receive abundance in this life and in the life to come, eternity. There's nothing better or more valuable than what he calls us to. And there's nothing more we can trust in. There's nothing we can trust in more than his promises. So why would we do anything else? There are those who have affirmed that they live on a mission for Jesus. And so I'm, I'm speaking to we who have committed to Jesus. If you're visiting church for the first time, if you're listening in for the first time, this is not for you. This is just so you understand how Christians think about these things. There are people who have put their heart in Jesus' hands who need to start giving charitably. And I'm not doing a fundraiser. You don't have to give to this church. Give to the church next door. That's fine. But start exercising generosity muscles because Jesus has called you to be generous. There are some of us who have gotten locked in at a comfortable habit of giving because it's comfortable and safe and non-threatening. And we need to go back and review, am I giving generously or am I just checking a box? There are many of us who need to begin tithing because that's the guideline that the Scripture lays out for us. And we needed to begin at the uh, beginning of our budgeting process saying, what would it look like if I gave 10% to building the kingdom of God on earth? And there are parents who are generous who need to teach generosity to their children because this value is passed on better in the family than anywhere else. My wife and I brought up our kids, and when they would do chores, when they would make money, when they get money for their birthday, we'd say, okay, 10% is a tithe, and we're going to put 20% in savings, and the rest is for you to play with. There's some parents who need to teach children how to be generous because that's best passed on through the family. Consider the contrast that Jesus calls you to and what you might end up living in. He calls you to a trade. He calls you to make an exchange, to let go of the everythings of this world, the things that this, this rich man has chased after, and instead to take hold of the kingdom of heaven. And what he's looking for is not poverty. He's not trying to break you. He's trying to set you free. 
It's like something that I saw happen with uh, a bunch of uh, college students who decided they were going to spend their summer volunteering in a Christian mission. And I believe they were working primarily with the homeless. But in order for this mission to work, they had to take part-time jobs during the summer to make enough money to live on so they could spend the rest of their time doing charitable work. They decided this was going to be a summer in their college that they were going to commit themselves to. And so, as a consequence, they, they had to kind of look around to see what jobs they would want. And this one student thought, I'm going to see if I can find a job that makes the most amount of money so I can, I can maybe bank the most I can to, to have the rest of my time free to do this ministry work, but I at least want to maximize my work dollars. And he ended up committing to a job that he didn't like with a boss that was unkind to him because it made the most dollars. Another group of the students in this, in this ministry said, hey, what if instead of going around and looking for jobs that pay the most, we all sign up to work together at McDonald's? We'll all apply at the same time, we'll all get hired at the same McDonald's, and we'll get to work together in this Christian fellowship at McDonald's. And they ended up doing that and worked together over the summer at McDonald's, and they said that there were days where they would sit in the kitchen and work, and they would sing songs together in the kitchen. And this McDonald's was filled with worship and happiness and singing and camaraderie. Uh, they made messes together and cleaned up together. But they did it in fellowship and in community. And what happened is they didn't make a lot of money, but they transformed that McDonald's into holy ground. Part of the beauty of the experience of that summer for them was living together in community, regardless of whatever rewards they might be chasing after. They decided to let go of everything and care for those who are in the most need and take hold of the one who could do anything. And that's the call to you and I right now. Some of us have been sitting in church for a while, and we like it. It fills a warm space in our hearts. But we feel a sense of longing for more. We wonder, is this it? Have I, have I done it right? Have I gone far enough? Is there, is there anything else that Jesus is calling me to? And what Jesus wants you to hear is, I haven't called you just to get by in this life. I haven't called you to pursue success in this life. I've called you to come follow me. And what I want for you is for you to let go of the everythings that you've been chasing after. To care for those who have nothing. And to take hold of my hand because I can do anything. And that's how we live life on a mission. Pray with me. Jesus, you know the pressures that we face to accomplish and provide and take care of ourselves. You know our anxieties, the fears we have of loss and being taken advantage of in this world. Jesus, set us free. Jesus, set us free like you set your people free from slavery. Set us free the way you did on the cross when you took our sins away. 
Set us free now to real life and life on a mission. Life in which we live in community joyfully because we know we're living for you and for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.